Welcome to Inside the Sports Car Paddock, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. We have five guests for you this week. Took last week off as our man Jeff Brown, very, very busy cat. Caught up with him here, talking about two very pertinent items, in particular in his world, knowing that we open every episode of Inside the Sports Car Paddock with some form of technical or engineering-based discussion knowing that very recently Jeff's long-term job here with the core autosport team and the rest of those working on the core Daytona prototype international program be coming to an end in October as the team shuts down its DPI effort. So Jeff as a longtime contract race engineer, someone who has not worked full-time for a team quite some time shares this exact dynamic. What is it like being a quote fly-in race engineer how do you do that what does it consist of how is it different from someone who is truly in the shop every day of the week also we speak about jeff's future and what it's like getting the news as this happens every year to many many folks learning that the team you're with is either shutting down or they just don't want to work with you anymore with jeff it is the former not the latter interesting though just to hear from someone who found out very recently his stability in IMSA, employment-wise, and that of his son, who he engineers at the team, Colin Brown, is going to change completely for next year. So we talk about that, and he also spells out how, as someone who works remotely most of the time, how you do that, how you interact with the team, and make sure that all information and tasks are handled the way that they should, leading into an event. Then we move into my man, J. Ron Bleak. Jaron Bleak Mullen, who just completed his very first American short oval race Saturday night and then went on and won Sunday's Michelin GT race at Virginia International Raceway, part of IMSA's final GT-only event of the year for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Taking that win with his friend Ben Keating, who will be driving with this weekend in Silverstone as the two of them embark upon the full WEC calendar with the Project One team. So caught up with Jaron about what it was like going short oval racing. And that was the bulk of the conversation because it's just awesome hearing about it from him. And then also this overdue victory uh, for the team coming in their number 33 Mercedes AMG GT3. Then we moved to three interviews captured by my week in sports cars. Co-pilot Graham Goodwin. First one kicking off with fan of the podcast nick cassidy talking about competing in japan in both the single seater and super gt formulas talking about the door that's beginning to open for him in both single seaters and the top level of sports cars which is pretty awesome and here in the american front we had nick over earlier in the year part of the aim vassar sullivan lexus endurance program then we moved to factory ferrari driver miguel molina on his elevation to the full GTE Pro WEC squad and also on running in four different championships in a single year on behalf of Ferrari. Then we close with the awesome, truly awesome Chris Goodwin who was back last weekend at Suzuka for the Intercontinental 10-hour race after a 22-year gap. Also talks about the Parabolica McLaren F1 GTR, the Garage 59 Aston Martin GT3 he's involved with and how the McLaren project could have been with entirely different beast, the Ferrari F50 GT1. 
amazing stuff captured by our man Graham. So let's get going. Jeff Brown, Jaron Bleakamolin, a.k.a. J-Ron Bleak. That sounds like a good American short track driver. Nick Cassidy, Miguel Molina, and then closing with Chris Goodwin on Inside the Sports Car Paddock, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Jeff Brown, we took a little bit of a pause last week knowing that you were extremely busy with a variety of things to look after on the home front so we haven't had a chance to catch up on some changes that were announced here upcoming with our favorite core autosport dpi team one that you have engineered that program for a good while not only the dpi front prior to that an lmpc lmp2 you john bennett and your son colin brown done some awesome things john announcing that he's taken a step back from the full-time racing role told the team hey let's start looking for some new employment opportunities for next year that includes you that includes your son colin and so since we focused every week here on inside the sports car paddock on some form of technical item with you some sort of vocational engineering related thing well pal you're this week's topic in a roundabout way. Um, let's start knowing that what you do as a call it consulting engineer, you're not a full-time engineer working in a shop every day for a team, but you are someone that is hired by a core auto sport to bring your talents to the team. Mm-hmm. Let's start on something just really basic. And some of our listeners have asked about how are you doing? What's it like learning before the season's over that there is indeed (laughs) a final day of, quote, employment for you with the core autosport team? What's that been like? And how much of a shock to the system is it to go through? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as maybe bad as some people might think, because as a consulting engineer, you kind of have that mentality of – it could, it could end at any time. And it's happened to me many times before. So, you know, being fired is, you know, okay, I was fired. Um, fortunately, I wasn't fired because I did a bad job. So that's, that's one, one good thing. But it's happened before. I mean, I worked for, just as an example, and I'm not the only one. A lot of my engineer friends have had similar circumstances. I, I worked for Team Scandia for seven years. They eventually stopped. I worked for um, Crone Racing for four years. They eventually stopped. I worked for Level 5 for five years. They eventually stopped. Corrado Sport's going to be ending at five years. Um, The one thing about racing, and especially when you're in sports car racing, when there's a lot of it is a sportsman enthusiast who's funding the program, actually even even factory efforts they're just as short term you know we saw the ford effort Uh, how long did that last not about the same you know four years maybe something like that it always comes to an end so i've always joked that the best thing for me is when we leave a racetrack and it's race one or race two of whatever of the season and the team owner says all right we'll see you at whatever laguna i'm like whoo I got a job for next week. You know, it's, I kind of look at, I, I could be fired at any time after any race. And so that's just what you have to live with. With core, it's, you know, it's disappointing. Um, what a great team. 
what a great it, it's disappointing because we can't keep doing the fun things and having the successes that we had in the past that's what's disappointing what's really great i think is that john bennett has been able to call his career at on his terms when he wanted to um and you know people some people are like oh that's too bad john's retiring well no if john didn't think that retiring was the best thing for him and his life and what he wanted to do or achieve or whatever, he wouldn't retire. It's, you know, he would keep going. So I'm happy for him because he's, he's making a decision and doing what he wants to do. I have a sneaking suspicion. I I know John enough to know that it's going to be, uh, I, I can't picture him standing at Daytona on pit lane next January watching. I just, he's the kind of guy that's like, Jeff, you got to put me in at two in the morning. I love that two to three in the morning stint. I got to drive <laughs> in. <laughs> he loves that stuff. So he's a racer, and but I'm really happy for him. And it's just what happens. Um, it happens to consulting engineers, and it's not just me. Uh, our fly, some of our flying mechanics are the same way. Um, Core fortunately has the Porsche GTLM effort, and there'll be some, you know, natural turnover of mechanics, um, whatever, quitting or retiring or whatever. So the the most of the people that were full time in the shop on the DPI effort can be absorbed in that natural turnover into the GTLM effort. So it's not like a mass exodus where it's like, Oh my God, it's, you know, everybody's being fired and there's a lot of people on the street. It's really not that case. And the fly in mechanics, um, and myself, um, that's part of life. That's what we expect. That's how, you know, off looking for the next, next fun gig, basically. And so that's the topic we're going to feature this week. One that I know very well in that in the final years, many years of my quote career on the team side, that's exactly what I did. Hop on a plane to engineer an Atlantic car at the Canadian Formula One race. Hop on a plane to engineer a pro Mazda at Sebring and so on and so forth. Uh, some of this was IndyCar related. A lot of it was GT. Uh, did a lot of this in World Challenge, for example, in the GT category where would fly in and be the team manager and engineer for the weekend. And so it's that thing where you are not a permanent employee. You're not getting health benefits. Um, You aren't in the shop full time. You are often in the shop though, some amount during the Mm -hmm. calendar year, but you indeed are someone who we're talking about in person uh, having face-to-face conversations with folks the majority of that happens at the races as you said fly-in is really the the key mechanism here for how these roles take place why don't you tell folks about this jeff because you've done both full-time right and in for for in recent years you've been the called the fly-in race engineer what's it like what is this like especially for those who might want to consider such a thing uh, and be the next Jeff Brown who isn't tied to one program. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it, it, it's been made easier for sure in the last whatever 10 years um, with 
you know, our connectivity, internet, uh, instant communication, Skype meetings, all of that kind of stuff. So for me, it's, it's actually better for the team because frankly, they can, they don't have to pay as much because I'm not in the shop all the time. They don't have to pay me health benefits. They don't have to pay me to be a guy who shows up at eight o'clock in the morning and stays till like the crew most of the time, eight o'clock at night. And, and, and that's a short day, but, uh, they don't have to pay me to do that. I get to stay at home. It's still a full-time job for me at this level, um, with, with core. And I'll just use that as an example. And there, but there's many other engineering friends of mine, especially in IMSA that do the same thing. i I haven't taken a poll, but I'm guessing well over 50% of the race engineers in IMSA operate like I do. Um, they're full-time race engineers. It's all they work on, primarily all they work on, but they're just not in the shop so they can stay at home. So I get up I, uh, in the morning, I have my breakfast, then I go into my office. On a normal day, I'm in my office for eight to 10 hours. The... Uh, the shop guys, we have a system at core um, called Asana, and it's a there's a bunch of them. Uh, Basecamp is another one, but it's a task project management software. And there's there's a computer on the workbench. There's one in the team manager's office. There's one in the crew chief's office. There's one in my assistant engineer's office, and I have it up on my screen. And it's every task that has to be done to get that car ready to go to the next race. Every engineering task, electrical task, mechanical task, loading task. Um, and you can literally see the things being checked off or worked on. I, I know exactly what the mechanics are working on at any second while I'm sitting in my Texas office and they're working in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I, I can see things being checked off and I go, okay, the gearbox is rebuilt. Ah, I got to get them that diff settings or the diff build because I know by after lunch, he's going to be on the diff thing. So I can work on the diff setup and send that to them. I can, um, they can ask me questions I can send to them. So it's for them. And for me, it's as if I'm sitting in the office right next to their, to the, to the workshop, but I'm in Texas. They're in South Carolina. So from a efficiency standpoint, there's no difference. I'm there when they're there. I'm working on my stuff. Uh, after every race uh, on Tuesday, everybody travels usually on Monday. On Tuesday, we have a giant Skype conference call. They go in the conference room in Rock Hill, big TV screen and conference um, speakers and stuff. I log in to that from Texas. Our systems guy, Lee, logs in from Indiana. Our uh, TC and engine tuner, Henry, logs in from Seattle. And we all have a big, giant conference call to go through all the things that went right and went wrong. And basically to build that list I just described of what needs to be done to prepare for the next race. So it's really like I'm there. Um, but I, had, I do have the flexibility. I, if, if, you know, I want to go uh, push some dirt around with my bulldozer outside for an hour, I can go do that. And um, I just fly into the races and there's no, it's not like, wow, I haven't seen you in a while. I mean, we're in constant communication the whole time. 
And that's what allows it to work. You know, the whole working from home actually ends up being more efficient for the team and for me and less, less expensive. So a lot of people do it that way. And I think more and more are doing it that way because it's, um, it's possible with the technology we have today. So looking at the methodology, which you've explained some of here, which is fascinating of being able to observe things taking place real time in a shop, uh, half a country away, Mm-hmm. Part of what you're doing, if not a big part of what you're doing at home, knowing that you're also, as we've discussed on the show many times before, Mr. Damper, uh, knowing that you are working on damper development, you are working on all kinds of things, arriving at a baseline setup for the upcoming race at event X. How are those things then communicated to the team? And then also maybe in a similar fashion, either observed or confirmed that all of those settings have been applied to the car before it's put into the trailer. And maybe Jeff also cover the fact that just because the team does the setup on the car in the shop and rolls it into the trailer and sends that truck down the road, it's not as if you roll straight onto the track no. afterwards. No. Yeah. It's so our methodology and I, and it's been similar on every other team that I've worked for. So I'm going to assume that the others are, do, do it this way today as well. Um, I will come up with a setup and that's through various, through the simulation work we've done. Uh, Tyler Neff, my assistant engineer will work on some of the damper stuff that I've asked him to do. He'll do that in the shop. And then I can see those files directly. And then we'll discuss what we want to do for damper builds and things like that for the next track coming up. Then I will issue. The first thing I'll issue is a build setup, which is not the alignment not the ride height and the toe and the camber and the corner weights and things like that, but the build setup that the crew needs, they need to know what, gear ratios to put in the diff. That's a long uh, lead time thing. They need to know how to build the differential with what ramps and plates and preloads. And along with that, I give them a build of alternates, like an alternate diff to be built up that has different ramps for different handling characteristics, uh, alternate dampers that might be built up ready to go with different spring rates on them possibly. Um, alternate aerial setups. So I'll send them the build list, like the suspension geometry uh, locations that I want. And they'll get that about the time they unload the car from the last race, get it a set down done on it, get it torn apart. Then they'll have my build list by the time they start working. Uh, That's usually maybe a week before they were going to load it in the trailer. So they can start building the car. In the meantime, I'll work with the sim guys and with Tyler, and we will come up with what we think is the best starting setup and things we want to try. And so that comes down to experience. I'll talk to Colin about it. You know, hey, remember last year this happened? What do you think? So it comes down to experience, talking with the driver, talking with uh, the sim guys and what we've come up with, what things they've run. And I issue a setup sheet. That goes to the shop, and it goes on this Asana uh, program. They have it instantly, and when they're done building the car, they'll go on the pad in the shop, setup pad, and they'll set the car up exactly to that specification. Ride heights, toes, cambers, casters, wings, 
everything exactly like that setup sheet. Then, and this is maybe the crudest part of the whole thing, they'll snap a picture of their setup sheet. It's a handwritten sheet that they do, you know, on the on the setup pad. They'll snap a picture of that and text it to me. Immediately when they're done with the setup, I have that information. I'll it's kind of like an approval thing. I'll go, yep, looks great, perfect. Then they can load it in the trailer. So we call that the load setup. So there's a starting setup, a load setup. Goes in the trailer, travels down the road, bounces around, shakes around, but the gets to the track, and they reset up the setup pad, level it and everything so it's perfect, put the car back on the setup pad, and do what we call a setup day setup. So they just check it to make sure that nothing's really changed. And that's when I'm there. I show up. And if I had anything that they wanted me to look at that I, they didn't just send a picture or, or you know, a, nowadays, it's almost um, seamless with what there's almost nothing I have to look at. We actually do what I call a shared note. Um, uh, Apple has a, a note um, app. And you can share it with somebody, so it's stored in the cloud. And I share it with my crew chief and my um, car chief, Freddie. And those guys can, I can be in the office during a practice talking with the drivers, debriefing. And it might come up that, oh, we want to change the rear springs. We're going to change them for sure. We're talking about that. Well, instead of having to interrupt my meeting with the drivers, run out the trailer go find Freddie or Ian and say, hey, we want to change the rear springs. I just type it in the app right away, rear springs to whatever the rate is. They get an automatic notification. They look at it, oh, and they start changing the rear springs immediately. They can report back on that app the amount of fuel they pumped out, the any concerns they have, maybe with brake wear or brake blanking or anything like that. And I can send back any changes on that uh app back and forth so it's almost like our workshop app but it's quick super real time right at the racetrack and um you know that's kind of the it's kind of the whole process to to get us to the first practice session and then we use that in between practice sessions throughout the whole weekend why don't we close on this jeff so the role of an engineer race engineer we've discussed that many times we'll continue finding angles to discuss on the show but I think folks mm-hmm. have a pretty good grasp what you do, how you do it, where you do it. One angle that might be interesting to use as we say farewell here. So as a fly-in race engineer, that means typically yourself and many other fly-in race engineers have more than one client. That's uh-huh. one of the advantages, right, of being a freelancer compared to a full-time employee is if you want or need to have multiple income streams, or you just like variety. Well, that's a great thing you can do here by not being a full-time race engineer working just for one team. How do you balance the satisfaction, happiness, feelings of being fully attent in giving you the client you're with this weekend 100% of your attention while they surely know that Maybe the following weekend you'll be flying off to work with a different client, right? It's it's not necessarily like being in a polyamorous relationship, but it's maybe a little <laughs> bit like being in a poly, you know, this is kind of the Utah 
approach to race engineering where right yeah how do you so i know the answer because i've had to do it i don't know if i did it well but what's it like knowing that you don't want to give john bennett or core auto sport or whomever the feeling like boy i know he's here with us but it sure seems like his head's focusing on next weekend's event or vice versa right Uh, no you you've been there and it's, it's exactly right and there's a lot of us that do that i mean um, Ferrari Challenge is a great example. It's an IMSA-based series, so they actually, for the most part, uh, make the Ferrari Challenge schedule not conflict with the WeatherTech schedule because a lot of the drivers coach Ferrari Challenge drivers. A lot of the engineers engineer Ferrari Challenge cars. Rick Mayer, the race engineer at Reese, does Ferrari Challenge cars. I do Ferrari Challenge cars. Bill Riley does Ferrari Challenge cars. Um, a bunch of us do that. And so for me, the thing is, my fight challenge client, and this is the only way I would do it, work it with any any Ferrari challenge or SRO, Blanc Pond customer or anything like that. Core Autosport has committed to me in a big way, and I'm committed to them 100%. So I, my Ferrari challenge client, Mike Watt, understands that if I'm scheduled to go to a race with him, for instance, and three days before I'm supposed to leave, Core calls up and says, man, we're going to an emergency test. we got to go test that I'm going with Core, and I can't do as far a challenge race. Even though it's a race weekend, it could be the championship deciding race weekend, he understands I'm going with Core. So it's very clear cut. There's no, uh, I wonder how it's going to work, or I wonder uh, where Jeff's focus is going to be. Um, Mike Watt knows that when he when he ex- hires me to, to race engineer his Ferrari Challenge car, and he's happy with that. It's It works great. And so what I do in return is when, if I know I'm going to Ferrari Challenge race, and it's a week before, um, well, a great example is coming up. Ferrari Challenge race in Homestead, not this weekend, but next weekend. The very next weekend is Laguna WeatherTech race. I will have all of my core stuff done, completely done. The shop will have everything, all my pre-race strategy stuff, all my analysis, uh, my strategy programs, everything's set, ready to go for Laguna before I step on the plane to go to Homestead for the Ferrari Challenge race. So that there's never a uh, possibility of me during the Ferrari Challenge race not focusing on Mike Watt because I'm trying to sneak a little time in to do some core auto sport work. Um, and it works the other way. Uh, when I'm doing stuff for core, that's 100% focus. And if I can't balance those two, then I will have to give one up. And it's, you know, Mike understands. There's been this year it happened. Um, he was Mike Watt was going to go to a test and I just said, Oh man, I just, I got too much here to do. I gotta, I gotta stay. I can't make the test. And he's like, no problem. Understand. That's the deal we made when we, when we did it. So I, I'm a pretty simple minded guy. I have to focus on one thing super hard, 100%. And so that's the way I do it. And it seems to work out pretty good. Everybody seems to be happy. They, I was going to say they still pay me. Well, uh, I guess not from core anymore, but uh, again, fortunately that wasn't because uh, any of us did a, did a bad job. It's just, um, you know, the natural flow of, of 
race engineering and the consulting engineer. You just you need to expect that. Well, let's say goodbye to this episode, Jeff, with giving folks a little bit of a glimpse, hopefully a little bit of a sunshine here. Know that you have received some strong inquiries talking about keeping your current client happy, but knowing that you'll be looking for a new uh, client in the wake of core shutting down its DPI program. We can tell folks that the Jeff Brown, I want you to engineer for us hotline. It's been ringing, right? It's a good thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always nice to know, you know, when people call up and say, Hey, what do you got? Uh, you know, I know you don't have anything going with core. If I put this deal together, could you come and engineer it? And, and, you know, this guy we might be making a change. We really need somebody to do this. Would you be interested? Um, from some pretty, you know, uh, high level operations, which is flattering. And, you know, everybody likes to hear that their services and their skills are, are in demand. So yeah, I'm pretty, pretty happy about that. And it's always nice to be able to have some opportunities to keep, uh, getting paid to do what you love. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I haven't decided anything yet. There's some things out there, but, uh, I know it's going to be tough to come up with something that is as fun for a dad as to be able to run his own kid, engineer his own kid. But um, who knows? Maybe there's a package deal out there again. Or if not, I'll find something fun and exciting and new and different to do with some good drivers and teams like has always happened. Each time one of those big teams has shut down that I've been part of, I thought, oh, that's it. I'm going to have to retire. And I first thought that in 1997 when Team Scandia <laughs> shut down. I said, oh, that's the end of me. I'm done. Huh. I'll never find anything else. And then found three other good teams in the past 20 years since then. So um, you probably can't get rid of me that easy. Wow. Well, as always, Jeff, thanks for taking some time here. Usual interesting insights into the world of technology and the professions, all on the technical and engineering side of our beloved sport. I appreciate it, Marshall. We'll talk next week. Maybe we'll uh, hit some uh, technical, you know, uh, nuts and bolts kind of thing. We haven't done that in a while, so maybe that's next week. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir. Well, I'm not sure if I'm speaking to NASCAR short oval legend J. Ron Bleak or that Dutch guy who won the IMSA GTD class with Ben Keating. And the Rally Motorsports team on Sunday at VIR, Jaron Bleekemolen. Uh, who do I have on the line here? Yeah, well, I wasn't sure either after Sunday night. Uh, I had some identity crisis there because, uh, man, that's a total different world. But, uh, yeah, great great to, to try it out and great to uh, to see another side of yeah the sport, although I, I think it's a totally different sport than what we are doing. Well, let's start there. When when Ben started sending me some photos uh, of you trackside testing at the uh, South Boston circuit and whatnot, I loved it. And I think I loved it the most because it seems to fit your personality, right? I mean, we know you as a guy, throw you in a GT car, prototype, whatever, and you're at home and in both. But your spirit is one where you don't see yourself as a quote, sports car driver, you see yourself as a race car driver, 
Tell us about that curiosity of wanting to go and what might be different for you doing a short oval racing here in America on a Saturday night. But really, spirit-wise, it's not too far from who you are. No, that's right, for sure. No, I've always, throughout my whole career, raced uh, many different cars uh, at the same time or in the same uh, season. Uh, like you said, going from LMP1 to a Formula car to a GT car, even to a small touring car. So I'm, I'm used to jumping from one to the other. But, uh, yeah, this was a total new thing. But uh, I love it. I love racing. I love trying new stuff. And uh, for sure, this got me out of my comfort zone because it was so different to what I'm used to. Uh, I didn't know what to expect at all. I just knew that it, this was not going to be easy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. That, that's for sure. So when you're racing your Rally Motorsports slash Keating Motorsports Mercedes AMG GT3 and you're rubbing fenders with someone, I know in the back of your mind you have to be thinking, oh, that's going to be expensive. I shouldn't do too much of that or I'm going to get yelled at. What's it like going into a race Saturday night, short oval, where it's not as if you're supposed to hit one another, but contact is not frowned upon. If anything, there's a little, maybe an expectation that a little bit rougher driving is accepted there. What was it like getting into that mindset? Yeah, that was hard for me because uh, I believe in our type of racing, in, in normal sports car racing or endurance racing, uh, it's a non-contact sport and, uh, for sure there's contact, but, uh, from my point of view, the basic should not be that you have contact and it can happen in a fight. Uh, I've many contacts, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's just the way it goes. That's sometimes racing. You, you push the edges and you go over it sometimes, but in that type of racing on the short ovals, it's very normal. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's totally different. I, one of the tough parts for me was uh, um, you, you don't really have time to wash your mirrors because you're working the car the whole way through the, the lap really, you don't really have straight so it's all all the time turning left and uh, you just got to rely on the spotter and uh, listen to him if there's a car or not and uh, then of course there's a little bit of a language barrier uh, I would say because yeah, they have for sure a lot of NASCAR language which uh, I'm not familiar with so it's not always easy to know, like, can I turn in or not? Uh, if you turn in, I saw in the race before my race, I saw a big accident happening. A guy turning in on another guy, and he hit the wall pretty hard. So uh, when I saw that, I walked up to my spotter and said, hey, uh, how should I handle that? Uh, what are you going to say if a guy put his nose in and, and, and all that sort of stuff? So it was, uh, yeah, very uncomfortable, but at the same time, I think it's good to, to get out of your comfort zone and try something new and yeah just just push your limits so you started ninth jaron tell us about the race itself how it went for you and also knowing the technical side of what you do you're so well known for having great chassis feedback and really grasping that side what was it also like in the race to feel not just the fuel burning off but tire degradation and such it's not as if you come to pit lane and you've got you know, seven people jumping over the wall like you do or however many in IMSA to take care of the thing, you're kind of out there on an island. Yeah, it was very different. Uh, I did a, I think I did a pretty uh, decent qualifying. I was sort of uh, midfield. I think I qualified, yeah, like you said, around ninth position. 
some guys uh, opted to start from the back because that would get them extra points for the national championship uh, because they would pass more people and that would get you points. So uh, actually, I I, uh, I started the race in sixth. Uh, which got me really excited, but also a bit nervous at the same time because you're uh, really far up front. Uh, there's plenty of cars behind you. You can't you can't screw it up. You gotta you gotta do it right. Uh, I had a great start. Uh, I ran for fifth for I think a couple of yeah, probably two or three laps, uh, and then the first fast guys came from behind, and uh, yeah, that that was tough. Uh, I had two or three fast guys passing me, so I, I ran I think probably like seventh for uh, for quite a while. Um, but then, uh, yeah, I had probably 10, 15 laps on my own where I had no pressure from behind. Uh, and as I said before, I, I had no time to watch my mirrors because I was too busy just dealing with the car and not hitting the wall. And, uh, yeah, then uh, finally these fast guys from the back came up to me and that was really tough because then, uh, there's a guy on the inside, on the outside, and they, they are so yeah, well known to this. They know how to pass people. They know how to go fast the whole time. They know how to be on the limit the whole time. Uh, so, you know, we, we can relax on the straight a little bit when we do uh, our normal road racing. But in, in this type of racing, there's no moment to relax your mind or body. So it, it goes on the whole time. And that was really tough. When those guys started passing me, uh, I had a hard time to to, yeah, to get back into the rhythm and, and, and yeah, drive my race, really. But uh, that was also interesting because it's, uh, yeah, the way you got to focus is it's much more in a way than, than we got to do. Sometimes we have to drive longer, but uh, they have to do it all the time, 100%. If you, if you give up a little bit, you're going to lose position. So you got to be on it the whole time. What was your takeaway after the race, knowing that we had Nick Tandy giving the command to start engines, we had you in the field, there was a, a pretty decent IMSA feel to this Saturday night race. What was your takeaway afterwards? Did you get a chance to speak with any of the competitors you just met and whether they enjoyed having you on track? I'm sure for the regulars who are there every Saturday night, might have been a little bit of fun having some folks trying out something new from a totally different world of racing. Yeah, it was really nice to see uh, how good they uh, they treated me. You know, a lot of people told me beforehand, you know, it's rough racing. New guys won't get an easy time there. But actually, uh, a lot of these guys came up to me and had a little chat and asked what I was doing in my normal uh, racing and, and uh, even gave me some pointers. And uh, I was totally open to that because I could use all the pointers I, I could get, really. Uh, right before the race, I was still talking to uh, Sellers, who was not Brian Sellers, but uh, uh, the other Sellers there, who was a big name there, and he was uh, he was really helpful. He gave me some pointers on the start, which really helped. And uh, yeah, I was amazed by how, uh, how how cool they all were to me because uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it's easy to uh, to push someone a little bit wide and uh, get someone a little bit uh, out of yeah out of comfort. So uh, it, it was great to get all the support from all the people there. Other than the advice to turn right once you get to turn one on the start, I think the rest of the advice they gave you is pretty good. Uh, so what do you think about next year, Jaren? You think this might be something you look forward to doing every visit to uh, the VIR GT weekend, or do you wear yourself out too much? You'll have to wait and see. Uh, just curious. Uh, I don't know. We have been talking about this for a couple of years now. Uh, 
uh, I think it started already six years ago when the first, yeah when when I when I was with uh, Ben and Bill Lowry, uh racing at VIR and we talked about hey let's go over to South Boston and, and watch the race on Saturday night. We never did it, but I think about three years ago they started talking like hey we should just not just watch but we should put you in one of these cars and see how you get on with it. So uh, I had no idea what to expect, but I, I liked the idea of that and I said yeah well if if, if we can find a ride I'm up for it. Um, and uh, I'm 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 thinking the same now. If if there's a, a chance, I would probably uh, jump at it again. It was uh, pretty rough because uh, because everything was really exciting for me. Uh, the car was on the edge for me. I had to really work hard to uh, to keep it under control, which uh, wore me out a little bit. Um, especially uh, like yeah, the seat position wasn't great yet. Uh, the preparation is yeah isn't very long. I just could, I, I drove over from VIR very quickly, jumped in the car. This was practice lap, so. Uh, it was I was worn out Saturday night. I, I, I and even Sunday during our uh, IMSA race, I could I could still feel it. Uh, my arms were sore from uh, just yeah just from all the tension you get into it. So uh, uh, it was not ideal, but uh, again, you get out of your comfort zone, and I think sometimes that's also good. So I really enjoyed it, and if if there's another chance, I would uh, probably do it. I love it. Well. The best part of your weekend in terms of doing something you're familiar with, being in that comfort zone, finally getting a win. I know it was said on the broadcast. I know many folks have shared the same thought. Boy, it is strange, my man, to get down with two races left to run in the season now. At this point, yesterday, obviously, it was three, but strange to get to the end of the season without seeing you and Ben in victory lane here in IMSA at least once. You guys finally did get that win. Tell us about the race yesterday. Uh, the GTLM fight was good. Uh, you know, maybe not a big surprise with how the race ended in GTLM. GTD, we can't say that, Jaren. We could not say that at all. It looked like about 27 different people were going to win that race. What were your thoughts watching Ben out there and yourself as we started to get into the flow of the race? Did it feel to you like you had a chance to win, or did it feel just as unpredictable to the rest of us who watched? Well, going into the weekend, I knew we we, we should have a good chance to win. Uh, we were in pole position and leading the race with Ben at Road America the weekend, uh, the race before. So I was hoping to uh, repeat that, but unfortunately, uh, Ben had uh, traffic in qualifying on the drying track and was the first one to take the checker. So uh, we had to line up seventh. Uh, passing is really tough. So I knew uh, it, was go- it was going to be really hard to, uh, to gain positions. Uh, the, the field is really tight at the moment in GTD. The level is unbelievable. It's a pro-am class, um, but it's, it's really cool to see that also in M, uh, so qualifying start it's really close uh there's some some yeah really fast m's out there uh luckily ben is is usually uh, one of the fastest but uh it's really great to see all that competition and then obviously with all the guys finishing it it's it's also really close i think uh all the cars you know for sure the winner is always happy and the guy who can't win is not happy but uh, i think the cars are pretty close in terms of performance so yeah you you can't put 
a foot wrong anymore or you won't win. You, you won't even be in the top five anymore. You got to do everything right. And then if you have a fast car, you might win it. So it's, uh, it's about, yeah, perfect execution from the beginning. So start seven, I'd never expect us to, uh, yeah, to win. Although, uh, I knew if there was a yellow, then that might help and give us a chance. Uh, we did get a yellow and that, uh, yeah, that made the race really exciting. I think, because then people, uh, yeah, were on different uh, strategies, and um, that's where we really, yeah, did a good job. I think we uh, pitted earlier than our competition, tried to save some fuel at the end, and that that worked out perfectly. But uh, also Ben had a had an unbelievable stint twice, uh, being behind a train of cars, fighting really hard for position, and uh, twice he uh, he passed many people. Uh, maybe a bit of luck in there, but. Yeah, with all the bad luck we've we've had, uh, I think uh, he deserved to uh, to drive through there, and uh, not just bad luck, not just luck, because it was also uh, you know just going for it and and knowledge of how to deal with these situations. Let's close on this, Jaron. So this is going to be the the dumb obvious statement alert here. This hasn't been the happiest year of competition for Ben Keating or you, the two of you as teammates, obviously. Lamar is going to leave a, a lasting sting. Hasn't been the most fun year for sure. How does this win? Does this win help relieve or release some of the frustrations and pressure you guys were feeling? There can come a time where if the season continues to go badly and badly, enjoyment can start to diminish a little bit. Just curious how this late season win might change any mindsets or re-energize you and Ben as you look to close the season and move on to new horizons here, almost immediately kicking off uh, a full season campaign in the FIEWEC. Yeah, I mean, I did get kind of nervous at the end of the race. Uh, you know, you, I had Mario Farnbacher ride behind me and late yellow. So then you had the whole field behind you and one little mistake and you're, uh, you're off the podium. So I was like, okay, you know, we can win this, but one little thing goes wrong. And, and again, we're not on it. We're not on the podium. So that for sure put some pressure on it. And I was really relieved to, to just get the job done and do it. Uh, but uh, all in all, I was feeling pretty positive already, even though uh, in 20 years of racing, this has been, my worst season in terms of results. We've we've uh, we've been so unlucky. We didn't get any results this year through uh, because of different circumstances. But uh, there was so much bad luck in there, and yeah, so many times we could have, should have, but it didn't happen. So uh, I uh, this year I learned a lot from uh, from Ben because he's a really positive guy. He uh, you know the mo- the Monday after the race he uh, he's already passed it. Maybe not completely past it, but at least his mind is in a good place again. He's looking forward. And uh, I think in the past I was maybe, um, yeah, living too much with, with, with a bad race. It would take me one or two weeks to get over it. And uh, even even with the Lamar thing, I was, I was devastated when it happened, uh, when I heard about it. Uh, I think so was, so was Ben. But uh, then when I, when I read his first, statements and when i spoke to him uh, the next day i already started feeling better and positive and and today I, I i really feel proud of the race we've done and i'm i'm not too 
uh, yeah, I'm really not thinking about what happened anymore. I'm, I'm just thinking about what an awesome weekend we had there and, and how cool it was, uh, what kind of race we did. So uh, I think I've learned a lot from him in that respect, just being maybe more positive and, um, yeah, just moving forward. So it's been a, a really good learning year with that, even though it was a tough year. Uh, I've learned a lot how to deal with, with yeah bad weekends or bad races. So uh, it's good. I think uh, it can only help for the future, and hopefully, yeah, this this one, this win will help us, yeah, getting the the positive vibe into a new start, into a new championship. Where I also think we have a great chance to do well. Looking forward to it, my man. Always a blast to see the adventure that is your life as a professional race car driver and all the cool things you get to do definitely fun to see that you and ben are now off going to do something not necessarily new for you but definitely new for ben uh you know in the latter stages of his career maybe getting a chance to go and tour the world enjoy sports car racing and also with a really good project one team coming off of an amazing super season and Le Mans where they had lots of success there. So thanks as always, brother, for spending some time. And yeah, I think J Ron bleak, I need to get some t-shirts made up of, uh, America's new greatest short track oval driver. Yeah. If I'm back next year, we should definitely have some shirts and, and some stuff to, uh, to sell out there because, uh, it was fun. And, uh, again, if I can do it again, uh, next year, I would do it. Not always easy. Uh, it, it was uh, hard to do it on a Saturday night. We had a rain delay, so I ended up really late in my bed. But still, I'd do it again. At the Suzuka 10 Hours and uh, in the Hiroto Corsa, uh, well, team area. I'm sure we'll be hearing in the background from uh, Nick Foster. We usually do, but uh, it's <laughs> but actually here to have a conversation with the guy I'm meeting for the first time, Nick Cassidy. We've been seeing a lot of you. We've been hearing a lot about you. We've been reading an awful lot about you. Um, but here at the uh, Suzuka Ten Hours, with kind of a couple of story stories on the way. One is this Hoboto Ferrari effort. We'll talk about that in a short while. Um, but the other one is confirmation this morning that you're going to be, I suspect, for the first time in, a, in an LMP prototype, LMP2, for three of the four races of the Asia Le Mans series with Eurasia. Tell us a little bit about the car. Well, firstly, mate, I've got to say thank you for getting me, getting me on the show. And I have tuned in before. So, oh, good stuff. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, I've been getting a lot more, obviously, let's say, involved in the sports car world in the last couple of years, and so I've been trying to do my homework and find out what this is all about, and yeah, really cool to be um, doing Asian Le Mans, for sure. Uh, I think prototype racing, um, first of all, looks very enjoyable, uh, levels very, very high, whether you're in GT3 prototype, um, wherever at the moment in the world, so uh, yeah, it will be my first time um, LMP Suka. I did a test one day a couple of weeks ago uh, in Sepang, at Sepang, and um, yeah, looking forward to that. Your career path has been very different to many young and talented drivers. You've obviously massive success with Super GT, great success at the moment in Super Formula. GT cars, I kind of qualify a, a GT500 as a prototype. It looks like a GT when it's a prototype car. Yeah. GT car here, single seaters and super formula. 
what's the plan? Yeah, I must say that um, my career has been very strange. Uh, I did a lot of stuff in Europe on and off for a couple of years, and I um, I don't I don't really think that I gave it. I of course I gave it the best shot I could, but financially, whatever, maybe I wasn't able to do as much as I needed to. Um, but I was really fortunate in 2014 to get a chance in European F3 with T-Sport and 3Bond, which uh, I could get a result at Macau, which led me to Japan. And um, honestly, I feel from that Macau weekend until now, I've had a completely di- different career um, compared to before that. So that's where I feel my career is started and I've been able to show who I am um, I've been in, in the single seater um, kind of wave I guess since that point uh, I'm similar to you I I classify um, a GD500 car as a more single seater um, prototype car uh, I've got massive downforce, massive power so you know these last years doing Super Formula and Super GT500 together has been really an ideal program um, and cars that actually aren't that di- different and um, that's yeah where, where my career has been I guess uh, heading and to now jump in GT3 for this weekend is uh, a complete kind of new experience for me obviously I did Spa and I did Daytona but I, I find um, I'm still like a fish out of water when I jump in these cars you know so it's for sure the downforce. yeah exactly and, and tire and whatever but it's I think it's a, a good challenge. You need to be, um, I think, strong at adapting to new challenges and, and new scenarios. So I don't see it as a negative. Um, but in terms of my career and where I'm wanting to go, it's still on that um, prototype single-seater road. LMB2 is, a, is another step. It's another kind of branch line, if you like it. But uh, reading some of the kind of their local uh, media clippings lately... You've got this career in Japan and Asia now. It's almost like Back to the Future. It's, a, it's an avenue that a lot of guys that ended up in Formula 1, ended up in top-line motorsport, took some years ago, but actually less fashionable now. But it is working for you. You are now being linked with some extraordinary stuff that might kind of come your way. Yeah. Did it feel that way? I'll be, I'll be lying to you if I said it didn't feel that way. Um, I've... I'm not really the type of guy who dreams about something that's not possible. So I think last year was a real, really surreal year for me. I mean, I came into 2018 with a GD500 championship and that it took me a long time to realise what I'd actually done. Um, you know, I was still looking up to the drivers that I was racing against, let's say. Um, I guess because of age and because of what other guys had achieved, um, even though we had number one on the door. So that was a very strange feeling. And last year, the big thing for me was to back up my Super GT performance with Super Formula. And I could really get that going, and it clicked for me last year. Um, I went into the last race uh, leading the championship, and, okay, I just missed out, but I felt like it was a great year. Um, And then this year... I wanted to obviously repeat that um, and I've changed teams um, which I must say hasn't been for the reason of thinking I'm going to gain performance by changing another team like I, I realised I was in a very good spot last year um, 
my, the team around me was working really really well but I was wanting a yardstick for myself so um, yeah I made the move to join Tom's and be next to Kazuki Nakajima because of what he's doing in LMP1 and it was a really good reference for me and so that was the challenge I kind of gave myself and now yeah leading the championship um, I wouldn't say it was expected uh, but we've had a very good season this far and it's um, yeah potentially made other things possible let's say I try not to be one of those journalists with that stupid question I'm going to ask a really stupid question now yeah. given the opportunity yeah. if the single seater ladder opened up yeah. or the hypercar ladder opened up <laughs> which one would you prefer to go right now because obviously t- Toyota there is yeah. that, that potential single seaters yeah. they're looking for talent still and you know they're, they're, they're now for the, probably for the first time looking for talent in probably not the traditional ways whether or not that be Formula 1 direction whether yeah. or not they be IndyCar direction yeah. there are opportunities now for guys with talent oh for sure for sure I'm, I'm not a guy um, who has sour grapes about saying oh you get the seat because of money I, I don't believe that's always the case you know you, you see guys um, look at Alex Albon for example uh, Russell um, who haven't had the backing but have the talents and have got there so um, yeah I definitely don't have sour grapes about that and I'm thinking honestly if the Formula 1 door opened I'd, I'd love to take it um, I believe I've got enough experience now um, I'm in the form of my life for sure um, and I I think with where F2 is at and everything and it's been quite common for drivers to come to Super Formula post F2 before F1 it's for sure not impossible but I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket and um, at the end of the day if that doesn't happen I 100% want to be ready for hypercar which uh, is a lot of the reasoning behind doing this LMP2 um, championship and uh, to get the experience there to, to be ready for a chance with Toyota and hypercar there's another part of the story which is these things come in a cycle and at the moment New Zealand motorsport is on an absolute upward curve we see huge successes from Bamba, uh, from Brendan Hartley uh, you're another name that is mentioned in that company that's a nice place to be yeah 100% 100% you know those guys have been doing a great job for many years and I've been yeah the generation behind you know I've always come through the ranks with uh, Mitch Evans and Tom Blomquist it's been the three of us same age and you know Mitch is going really great too formerly um, Jaguar so for sure it's a great company but it's, uh, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit of an eye-opener for me that you see Brendan Hart is an elder statesman. That's quite yeah. <laughs> It's true, it's true. But, you know, um, motorsport doesn't stand still, so it's great that we're all going well. But, I mean, man, it, it can change tomorrow, so you've got to keep pushing for sure. Yeah. What next? So we've got um, 10 hours in what we don't know yet, whether or not it's going to be streaming wet or <laughs> blisteringly hot conditions. You've yeah. got th- three races to look forward to in an LMP2. You've got two uh, championships you're still very much in contention with. Leading, Super Formula, and second at the moment? It's second in, in 500. In, in 500? Yeah. It's not often been done that a double championship uh, could happen, but it, it could be on. Yeah, well, I mean, last year I lost both by a total of two seconds. Wow. So 
Um, I know that it, I, I should it, say by the way you, yeah. it's obviously audio only yeah. but yeah. I can see your face and that still clearly hurts well, it hurt anyone right yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but uh, it's just driven me to, to get the job done I mean um, and two yeah. I mean amazingly yeah. competitive championships yeah but everywhere it is these days you know you look at him so you look at WEC you look at this championship you, I think it's so hard to say well, what's the most competitive I think a lot of places are really, really strong at the moment, which is great for motorsport and it's great to watch different types of racing. Um, but yeah, that's for sure my focus this year is, is to get the job done in, in these two championships um, before I look at anything else. Yeah. And is there interest? I'm not asking you to tell me who there's interest from, but yeah. are, there, are, there, are there some interesting conversations in the background right now? Uh, well, there, it's racing, they're always interesting conversations. <laughs> 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 I'll not push any further yeah. Nick Cassidy delight to meet you delight to see you here with what looks like a really competitive three man crew yourself Heike Kovlainen and uh, the bloke sitting next to us bronze driver bronze driver we're going for the pro-am title this weekend in what's you know, looking to be a very competitive field uh, it could be a good race ahead yeah thanks very much for having me on the show awesome in the car guy uh, racing pit with Miguel Molina. Miguel, well, I guess the first one to say is congratulations. Full season deal for the FIWC in the 71 car. Um, how long have you known about that deal? Well, it was uh, something really expected well, uh, for my side, I think, because, no, I mean, I really wish to, 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 to go there. I think it's the maximum uh, place to be in the Ferrari GT program. So that was my aim from from the beginning of the of the of of my career here in Ferrari. So I had the opportunity to 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 work with them three times already in Le Mans, uh, being as the, the third driver there, and I already knew that it was the place to be. I think I did a really good job in the beginning in the, in the last two seasons. Uh, learning a lot of the with the with the tra- uh, with the car and do, doing a lot of mileage with the GT3s and also with some GTEs in the ELMS. So I'm I was really ready for that, that challenge, and it came this year. So I'm really really happy. Uh, I'm really also happy because uh, the trust uh, the, they put on me to do this this championship, and and for sure I will try to. To be a, at least as good as it was Sam in the in the car because uh, uh, for sure Sam is a really a really good driver and he he really put the level really high so I will try to be at least in the same the same position as him. It's going to be we'll say just three factory teams but it is three very good factory teams. It's uh, of course with Ferrari, it's the Aston Martin racing guys and Porsche. We saw what kind of war you guys can put on for us at uh, Le Mans. you think it's going to be as tight for the season? For sure will be tight. Uh, if you see the last years, it's been always tighter and tighter. And, um, and for sure will be a, a, a tight competition. But I think we are coming in a good, in a good way. We, we had a really good uh, result in Le Mans with the sister car in uh, winning the, 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 the 24 hours so 
We are improving. We are working on the on the members in the in the Ferrari group and in, with the F Corse, and we are improving as well. Some parts in the car that uh, we are were struggling. So I think we are in a good position to start fighting from the beginning. And we know the car. I think right now is the oldest car in the in the field, the oldest spec, let's say. But uh, the the positive thing is that we we know really well the car, and and right now we have a a really good group group for for starting the season. They, of course, from Ferrari, have a record of uh, placing their factory guys in customer programs alongside the factory programs of the WEC. You're here with Car Guy, Asia Le Mans Series champions, of course, last year, and James Collado, as well as Kate Casolino. Is there anything else at the moment that you can tell us that's uh, on the agenda for you in racing? Well, uh, I'm still focused on my on my two championships that I'm doing. Actually, this is my third one, so. Uh, Actually, it's 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 been a busy year for me again. Last year was a big, a bit uh, busy one, and this year I'm doing almost three champ, four championships. I will finish the year with four championships. So, um, yeah, I'm doing the Blampeng America where I I'm leading. Unfortunately, I cannot uh, be in the next round in Watkins Glen, and because it's clashing with Silverstone, so they will. This will private me to probably score a championship this year, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a shame. But at the uh, at the other time, at the other thing, it's I will be in Silverstone for the work. And I am also leading the championship in the Blampeng Endurance uh, with the SMP uh, car. So he's only missing one race in in my home home track. So. We have a really good chances to, to win the championship as well there, so it's really really important as well to, to finish the in a good way in Barcelona and the Intercontinental GT. I mean uh, this race I did um, the the Laguna Seca where we could win with the with the Hub Auto. So I, so far it's been a, a really good year. Uh, busy but uh, winning races and being in the podium is always important and I think the hard work is paying off and like I said uh, this helps also to to be in the WEC for the 19-20 season a busy year for sure and uh, well, let's see what happens after this season and how much silver will you be taking home for now Miguel Molina thank you very much thank you very much in the garage 59 bit uh, at the Ten Hours in Suzuka and with well a man who's got some heritage here but not for quite a while Chris Goodwin no relation um, at least I'm not sure I don't think so 22 years since you were here last Chris here in the Aston Martin but back then it was a very different car yeah you've um, just shown me a pretty cool photograph of the Parabolica Motorsport McLaren F1 GTR that I raced here in 97 with Stefan Johansson and Gary Ailes and uh, yeah, the one and only time I've been here before, raced here before. Um, so the the two laps of dry running that we've got before quality, <laughs> it's all come flooding back. So the boys are leaning on you heavily for your track knowledge, then? Yeah, they shouldn't, but you know, uh, there's not a lot of track knowledge going around in this uh, team. Com and the team raced here last year with the McLarens, and as you know, Garage Fifty Nine and I were very intrinsically involved with McLaren 
uh, up until quite recently, uh, me for 20 years, the 20 years since 97, up until a year ago, and the Garage 59 team won the Blanc Pan GT Championship uh, in a McLaren 650 in 2016. Let's talk a little bit about the contrasts. 22 years ago, another golden age of GT racing mm. in a very, very different way. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what this scene was like at that stage. It was getting on to a kind of global setting. It was sort of on the peak, wasn't it, on the kind of crest of a wave before the manufacturer money came flooding in and things started to go all wrong. <laughs> it ruined it. Yeah, look, it's great. You know, I've been on this journey with Stefan Rattel since 95, I think, was the first time I raced in one of his races in Zuhai, and that was with the Lotus, actually. Um, and, you know... Uh, He's a fascinating guy. It's amazing what he's done with this scene. It's had various chapters. Um, and when I was trying to be a racing driver, um, that's what 97 was all about. You know, we were out here. It was amazing, a fantastic opportunity for a young driver. You know, we were out there with the big names. It wasn't a big grid. It wasn't like as big as this. And it was certainly not as big as the Blancpain grids we get at 70 cars at Spa 24 Hours. Um, but it was a very, you know, it was a high quality grid. Um, but now the depth of, of quality throughout this uh, scene, intercontinental, but particularly the Blancpain uh, Endurance Series back in Europe, is amazing. And it's such a healthy scene. So, yes, back then I was inexperienced but very serious. Now I'm very experienced and doing this really for a lot of fun. You know, I, it really complements my job, which is developing road cars. But this is great. Fun. Come back to another tale. I think I remember you telling me in the Parabolica days in a moment. Let's talk a little bit about GT3. You're right, the scene is comprehensive now. It gives teams, it gives drivers, it gives manufacturers that matter an opportunity to do all sorts of things. Series, championships, one-off races, cherry-picking. You're working pretty closely at the moment with Alexander West. He's a man with a plan about his own enjoyment and about what he wants to do with Garage 59. Just how many options do you have to go through before you get to the stage where you agree on a programme? Um, well, I, I think that the amazing thing is that really with the GT3 platform that exists now, you can, you can mix and match and pick and choose. It's a, such a, you know, you can come up with a bespoke programme to suit absolutely anybody. So it's not really difficult to, cut, to come up with the ideal programme because it's so flexible. Uh, and all under one organisation. You don't have to change the cars. The, the team could really race in the States one weekend, in Asia the next, and in Europe the next. It's, um, you know, it's terrific. And for us as a, as a team, Garage 59, we've re, uh, reborn ourselves as an Aston Martin operator now with these two GT3 cars. We like the Intercontinental Series. Alexander likes the Intercontinental Series. I think the European Championship is really great. You know, that's always got to be your mainstay. If you can do well in that, we've won that championship. We'd like to win it again. But again, it gives it something for everybody. So um, there's a category within that race for amateur drivers only. There's a half and half for silver drivers or pro-am. So you really can, you know, pick your class. There's something to go for for absolutely anybody. With us, so we run a pro car here at Garage 59 that we fund ourselves. Um, but we also run an AM car, which is myself, Alex West and Chris Harris. We've been quite successful in that from time to time. We've won that category quite a few times uh, in races. We haven't won the championship, but it's perfect because it's for older guys, less experienced guys. It's got a nice tone to it. I hope it doesn't uh, 
drift into being too serious with too many young, you know, and whippersnappers. Yeah, you know, it, there's a place for them already. Yeah. Silver, silver class or pro am class and all of that. So, yes, um, I have to say, you know, I'm here 22 years later. I'm having much more fun. I'm enjoying it a lot more. There's zero pressure, um, but the competition is stiffer, I'd say, uh, here. The times are closer across 20, 30 cars than they were 22 years ago. Um, but the number of F1 GTR models I've signed in the last couple of days is amazing. So the passion is for McLaren and the history that we had and they have here in Japan is still amazingly strong. Slight pause because I might have to edit this because I'm not sure you can answer the question. But I recall a conversation we had. It nearly wasn't a McLaren, was it, for not that programme? Correct, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that I had a 20-year career at McLaren uh, was a stroke of luck because for 1997 I was due to race a Ferrari F50 GT1 car and you drove that car? Uh, no I didn't drive it but I went to I went to Ferrari I went to Maranello we watched it test Nicola Larini drove it uh, it was all looking good um, programme was more or less all agreed and then when Ferrari chose to do customer engines and supply Sauber in Formula 1 the, the GT1 programme was canned maybe for other reasons as well but that that was kind of the, the the reason we, we were given and so we had a few months with no programme then all of a sudden um, the team was able to buy the last McLaren F1 GTR that was available and, and off we went I raced that tested that was immediately testing for McLaren in their endurance programme and it snowballed rapidly for 20 years at McLaren and I have to say I enjoyed more or less every every minute of it but yeah and you've got Sauber to thank for your career at McLaren isn't it funny how you know how, how fate works and and you know when you've been around in racing for this long I've got loads more stories like that you just can't believe why things happened the way they happened well, that's one more follow-up on that because you observed it because the team were looking at it how good could that f50 gt want to be um yeah fabulous I mean it was a great basis for a car wasn't it you know um, super engine I think the regulations were free enough for them to have been able to make it really competitive Um, it all depended that that was the key moment the pivotal moment it depended on how much you were going to throw at it and so the McLaren programme exactly a case in point the first half of the season very strong McLaren had a test car we were out testing the teams were pushing it was all about Le Mans post Le Mans I think Ron sold the test car to Japan uh, to race out here I believe uh, testing dried up at the moment that Porsche Mercedes-Benz were cranking it right up and they put the effort in and that set the bar yep. if you weren't doing the same sort of programme you were nowhere well you're certainly somewhere here we're back in Suzuka have fun thank you very much I certainly will